Hello, friends. Rick Thomas here. This is episode 255. Travis Mitchell, the founder of Heaven Yet Ministries, he asked if he could interview me about my book, Change Me. And so we did that interview, and I'm going to jump right into it now. Again, this is Travis, uh, Travis Mitchell interviewing me about Change Me. Thank you for joining me today. I'm here to interview Rick Thomas, and he's an author of the book Change Me, as well as many other wonderful books. You can check out more of his work at rickthomas.net. Rick, would you like to share a little bit more with us about your background today? Well, hello, Travis. Yeah, thank you for uh, having me on. I come from a, a dysfunctional background as far as how it began, and the Lord uh, regenerated me when I was 25 years old, and at that point, it set a new trajectory into my life. I'll just skip the rock across the pond to uh, and, and skip through a lot of this. Not having any religion or Christianity in my background, didn't know where to go, what to do, ended up uh, being part of a fundamentalist Baptist-type background, which was predominantly where my culture was in North Carolina, the Christian culture that is. And so I was a part of that group for a while, and then as I continued to read Scripture, God began to work in my heart and move me in uh, a more Reformed direction, which is where I am today. A part of that was through some adversity that the Lord brought into my life, and within the Christian culture that I was a part of, uh, they weren't really that great at discipleship. I don't want to be disparaging here. I appreciate my brothers and sisters who who are a part of my past and how God used them in my past, but nevertheless, they weren't that great at discipleship, and I began to learn about discipleship in a more intricate way led me to biblical counseling, a master's in biblical counseling, and I've devoted this last couple of decades to helping people in the area of counseling, soul care, slash discipleship, and that's what we do today. Wow. Well, fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Um, You're welcome. It's quite the introduction. I would like to begin to unpack a few questions here, sure. and I want to ask you about a particular book that you wrote. Why did you write Change Me? Uh, Change Me was the uh, first book, and the way that it came about, I started this ministry that we have in 2008. Uh, it was two, uh, July 3rd specifically, and it was just a blog post. I didn't have much more of a direction than writing a blog post, but I had a passionate desire to help people based on what I uh, was giving in that brief autobiography of my life. Uh, not being able to receive help, and then coming to a place where it, God's mercy, He taught me how to help myself first of all, and then I wanted to just share that with others, and so I came to that place of starting this ministry in 2008, wrote a blog post, people started reading it, responding, I wrote another and another and another, and and eventually people were just asking for more types of resources. Of course, we started podcasting and doing videos. We started an online school to train people in biblical counseling, etc. Well, a one of, we have a support. Uh, our website, we give all our, we give our stuff away. And so you can come get, enjoy, I call it a, a, a giant sanctification center that we, we shove up in cyberspace where anybody can come uh, from around the world and feast, uh, feast themselves into sanctification oblivion. 
And now the, the way we support our men, we have people who support our ministry, so they donate. And so one of our supporters asked the question. She said, Rick, you have a lot of resources. There's millions of words on your website, hundreds and hundreds of videos, et cetera. And she said, what would be the most important ones? Because what she was doing, she was looking at a needle in a haystack. And I thought that that is an excellent question. And so I went into my resources and I was thinking about this idea of change. And as you mentioned, the title of the book is Change Me. The whole point is how to change. And so I started pulling out the resources that I believed would be critical uh, that you wanted to give to a person to walk them through the dynamics of change, beginning the Word of God, which is foundational. And so the first part of the book is about a, a sufficiency of Scripture worldview. And then from that presupposition, you begin to walk through the dynamics of change, which covers a lot of a lot of categories, the normal ones like marriage and communica- communication, but also some of the inner dynamics of the heart. And so I put all those together. It ended up being 31 articles. I don't re- recall at this point because it was a few years ago, but I think I gave her Or maybe I put those in a blog post. Here's 31 articles that you can read. And then from that point, I had this idea that, you know, I need to put this in a book. And so when we came to the place to actually start publishing, that was the first book because it's the book that deals with how to change, which is the most important question that someone would ask me when they come to us. They want to change. They want to change their marriage, change their relationship, change their life, change their situation, whatever. And so we have a book. It's interesting you mentioned uh, the title, Change Me. I find that a lot of times people in their current relationships want to change others uh, around them more before they want to make the change themselves. Right. just wanted to ask you, what's a powerful change that you've made in your life? The change process happens in a sequence. And there are, if you take all of your problems and you put them in, if you collect all your problems together, what you would end up with would be four buckets all of our problems fit into four specific categories, and those four categories are structured in a hierarchy. And, and to, to put it in an easy way to remember it, uh, we have a theological problem, our problem with God, how we think about God. We have a psychological problem, how we think about ourselves. We have a sociological problem, how we relate to others. And then we have an ecological problem, which is how we live the world in, actual, in which we actually live. And so the most significant change for me, well, one, understanding that, and then to begin addressing those problems in the order that I listed them. Uh, if you don't work on your problems in that order, it'll be hard to, to live well in God's world. And so I had an issue with God. Now, obviously, my number one problem, I mean, it's, it's salvation, but it's more than salvation. Getting saved puts you in the family, but learning how to under, understanding God, growing in your relationship with God is critical. And then everything rolls out of that. In fact, as you, as I've learned in counseling people, when they come in with a sociological problem, for example, a marriage problem relating with other people, if you back it up, what you'll find is that this individual or these two individuals have personal problems. And those personal problems flow into a marriage problem, the sociological. But if you back up from their psychological personal problem, you'll have this theological problem with how they relate to God. And so when I became a Christian, I had an authoritarian, I had an abusive father, earthly father. And as we tend to do, as we take our shaping influences, we can map our shaping influences, the experiences that we have had, we can map them over how we think about God. 
And so the Lord saving me was a good start, and it gave me an eternal seat in heaven. But unfortunately, the way that I viewed God and it's, it was as an authoritarian person who I had to please. And of course, that was one of the that was one of the draws into a legalistic type Christian culture because I understood rules, keeping rules, behaviorism, and that kind of thing. And so I had a poor understanding of who God the Father is. And of course, that affected how I thought. It affected how I related to people. It affected how I function in life. And so the single most important thing is that I had to have a rewire. I had to have a a worldview change of who God is. He's not just the judge in the courtroom, but he is also the father in the living room. And I had to I had to understand. I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, so I'll stop, but I had to have a clear understanding of what the fear of God means. A holy judge and holy love only knew a holy judge, because that's who my father was. Well, he was an unholy judge, but only only knew the judge. I did not know the father of love. And so holding those things in balance, and that began to reshape how I think. It began to reshape how I relate to others. And, of course, it changed the kind of life that I actually live in his world. Long answer. Sorry about that. No worries. Um, that was that was really deep. So one where um, so you mentioned problems break down into four different categories. Could you talk a little bit about the very first category that a problem can? Uh, can you expand on it a little bit? I, I wasn't able to quite catch it, but uh, our theological problem or problem with God. Yeah, is that like when you mentioned the four problems that people encounter and that they have a like a hierarchical structure, which one is the primary one that people face before leading to others? Their relationship with God, the theology. Every, everybody has that a theology. affects their outlook almost completely on life. Everybody has a theology. Theos, logos, the study of God, everybody has a theology. Satan has a theology. Now, his view of God, obviously, is as twisted as it can possibly be. But every person has a theology. Now, the question is, is it sound theology informed by Scripture, or is it like my theology of who God is was informed by my father, my earthly father. That was my theology. And that set a trajectory of how I think about myself, a people-pleaser, fear of man, codependent type of person, peer pressure controlled person, because I lived under this cloud of domination and judgment. And so my theology was terrible. That affected me psychologically, my psychological problem. And then naturally, it impacted my relationships and impacted how I lived, my ecological problem, how I lived in God's world. And so I had to resolve this problem with God, resolve as in the sense, get it in the right footing. We're always growing in our theology. We're always maturing in our relationship with Him. And so a person that doesn't understand God correctly, for example, in our culture, our culture believes that people are inherently good. And because of that, that's how they interact with everyone. Therefore, we can trust them to, you know, make good decisions and so forth. Well, that's not what God says. God says that we are totally depraved and we need salvation. And so, again, how we think about God, whether we love Him, hate Him, whatever, that's not the point. But the point in this 
context is how we think about him. And I had a skewed view of God, and that had to change in order for all these, it's like dominoes, for all these other, these three other things to get somewhat in order and correct. Wow. So basically, if somebody is having other types of relational <laughs> problems in their life or, or just with themselves, kind of their, their overall well-being and outlook, just stuff isn't happening well for them. It can start really with their theology and their and their view of God, which is affecting all their other relationships in their life. Correct. Typically what people do is they start at the very lowest level, either with the relationship, but they don't start with God. And so if I'm having a relationship problem, a marriage problem, or any other dust up with another human being, if I'm not right, if I don't understand what God is doing in that relationship, uh, it'll be hard to be able to resolve this problem. And so in counseling, for example, if there's a marriage problem you want to back up, that's the sociological problem. And I'm just using these words in these categories in a vacuum. I, I realize it could be simplified use of those words for those who study sociology and so forth. But I'm just using those as tags to give categories, not as plenary explanations as to what these words mean. But if a person has, in, in this context, a sociological problem, marriage problem, you have to back up and you have to address each one of them individually. That's the psychological problem. And what you're going to find is there's a connectivity with each one to how they relate to God individually. And so you'll have to address their view of God, which impacts how they think, which impacts how they relate to the other person. And so all of those elements are important, but it's important, to, it's critical to have that framework in mind so that you don't, otherwise you'll just, so a per, let me give you an illustration. A person with a communication problem, marriage, we have a communication problem. That's a, it's a very common, but it's also a behavioral problem. And so an illustration of a communication problem, he gets angry at me, okay? It happens so often. Or she gets angry at me. That happens so often, too. All right? If yeah. you just try to deal with that on that level without understanding the internal dynamics of this person, I mean, there's a reason he gets angry at me or she gets angry at me. And so now you have to back up from the communication problem, the sociological issue they have. And, well, why do you get angry at me? Well, James 4 says that what causes quarrels, what causes conflict is because you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And so the reason that he gets angry at you is because he has a desire that he's not getting. And so he's using anger as a manipulative tool to get what he wants. All right, so now we've got two problems. The communication problem that you brought into the counseling session that you want to talk about. But now we have this person with these desires, the psychological problem. And so now we have to address, well, why are the, where in the world did you learn when you don't get what you want to like hammer somebody, you know, through anger to manipulate them to get where you want? And then what you'll find there's something in their relationship about God. And, and here's one of the ways that that would, what that would look like. My wife is not doing what I want. I am going to trust God and not rely on myself, anger. To make her give me what I want. And so now this, but this person here who's actually angry and manipulating her to get what he wants through anger, he's not trusting God. So there's something wrong with his relationship with God. Rather than trusting God to work on this marriage, I'm going to bypass God, go off on her in anger, and I'll make her 
give me what I want. And so there's, there's something wrong with his relationship with God because he's just ignoring God. He's becoming a self-reliant person who has, used to, who has learned to use the tool of anger to get what he wants. Does that make sense? You, you track it with me? Yeah. All right, so there's, there, there are three components there. And if you don't get back and deal with his relationship with God, there's something broken in his relationship with God because he's unwilling to trust God. So if you have a relationship that's not working, then you need to be talking to God as to how God can use you in the restoration of that relationship rather than you just going off on this person and engineering what you want through your own human-centered means. So the conflict begins with someone's desire for a particular outcome, essentially something right. that, they, that they want or desire in life, some circumstantial change or relational yep. And the way they go about it is oftentimes determined by their view of God, essentially. Right. And, and if they're truly trusting, and if they're not different emotions and different um, other ideologies will, will inevitably come out. Um, right. Well, I really don't know how to expand much on that point. That was really, that's, that was really okay. uh, interesting. <laughs> wow. So... I actually, I'm thinking about shifting gears here. Go um, ahead. Yep, go ahead. Is there a particular chapter that stands out in the book, Change Me, one that you, you'd um, maybe a favorite or just one that you particularly enjoy um, in the book? Yeah, I, I would say there were three, uh, but I won't get into all three of them. Uh, apparently, I have long-winded answers, and I don't want to do that. But uh, there are some cornerstone chapters in the book, and the one that I would draw attention to is the is the chapter on self-reliance. All of us, every human in the world, struggles with self-reliance. And what the text that I would point to would be Second Corinthians chapter one, verses eight and nine. In those two verses, Paul is saying the suffering that he and his friends, he and his team, that they were experiencing in Asia, there was a reason they were experiencing suffering. And he says that we were experiencing this suffering because God was teaching us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on him who raises the dead. And this is our greatest tension in our souls. I just described it with the angry person. The angry person has an opportunity to rely on God who raises the dead or to rely on himself. Of course, if he's using anger, he is relying on himself. That is self-reliance. If he's relying on God, then, of course, he's going to respond differently to the person that he is frustrated with. Again, that gets back to this relationship with God. And so in that text in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9, Paul and his team were going through suffering. Now, this opens up a whole other thing about a theology of suffering, uh, the purpose of suffering. There's many purposes of suffering. And what I find with most Christians is they don't have a robust theology of suffering. Paul's, uh, God sometimes brings things into our life, suffering. Uh, of course, Paul gave us a very real illustration of that as you move to the end of Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians 12, with the thorn in the flesh. I mean, he was very clear that God sent this person, a messenger of Satan, to, to buffet me, this, whatever this thorn in the flesh was. But in the first, but if you back up 12 chapters to the very first chapter, he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of what we experienced in Asia. I don't want you to be ignorant, because you could look at our suffering and you could say, oh, poor Paul, uh, they're just going through a hard time. I just feel so sympathetic for them, et cetera, et cetera. He said, no, don't be ignorant of what we're going through. This is God. And he says in the text that God has 
has he has pushed us, and there's a key phrase in that text. He says, beyond our strength, and that's an important phrase in that text. God was purposely pushing them beyond their ability to rectify the situation because, as Paul said very clearly, explicit in the text, he was teaching us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on him who raises the dead. And sometimes God will use mechanisms to push us beyond our ability to fix the problem so that we can learn to rely on him who raises the dead. And we see it at the very beginning in 3.6 of Genesis. And so Adam and Eve have this opportunity that's before them. You can eat the fruit, not eat the fruit. You can rely on God who raises the dead, or you can be God-like yourself. And there's that tension. And you'll see that tension throughout Scripture. Paul articulates it in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. The anger person that I was just describing is at that very same intersection. My wife is not doing what I want her to do, or my husband is not doing what I want him to do. What are we going to do here? You're at a situation, and it's beyond your ability to rectify. Are you going to rely on him who raises the dead, or are you going to take matters in your own hands and hit him over the head with a frying pan, or manipulate him, get him somehow engineer the situation so that you can get what you want in a human-centered way. But what that speaks to... And so another way that you could think about this communication problem that we were talking about earlier, perhaps God has permitted this communication problem into your relationship to push you. I'm going to paraphrase what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1. Beyond your strength, beyond your ability to rectify this communication problem because he wants to teach you how to rely on him who raises the dead rather than always relying on these man-centered mechanisms to get what you want. And so the chapter on self-reliance is foundational to our ministry. It's what we teach our students over and over and over again because, again, it's it's a universal problem. In fact, you look at Every sin issue that ever happens is the person making a decision to rely on their wisdom or to rely on God's wisdom and God's strength. And if you go back to the first book of Corinthians, chapter 1, and 1 Corinthians in 18 through 25, Paul lays out that antithesis where he says, he talks about the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so this man who's getting angry at his wife, he thinks he has wisdom, and so he accomplishes what he wants through his power, his strength, anger, because to rely on God's strength, it seems weakness and it seems foolish. I can get what I want more quickly if I just do it my way. That is self-reliance, and there's something about his relationship with God that is not right. And of course, the most stark and shocking illustration of what I'm describing is the gospel itself, because they were all standing around the cross that day on Golgotha, and they were looking at the foolishness of God, the weakness of God, and they could not believe that that is the answer. That is foolish, and that is weak, and that's 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 the tension that we have. It's like God's way seems so foolish and so weak, but we don't realize that that him hanging on a tree, that was the absolute power of God. That was the absolute 
wisdom of God. But in our own thinking, we want to circumvent that and do it our way, which is self-reliance, and that's what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 1. God is teaching me not to rely on myself, but to rely on him who raises the dead. Therefore, the first answer, or the first thing that the, man, the husband should say or the wife should say in this communication problem, I don't have the answer to this. I don't, I don't know how to navigate through this. But I do know, again to paraphrase 2 Corinthians 1, I know that God is pushing me beyond my ability to rectify the situation, and I'm learning how to trust Him. I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know where, where, where all this is going to go, but I know that I, I can't do what I have been doing to manipulate an outcome that I desire. I have to do it the Lord's way. And so this, the, the chapter on self-reliance is uh, vital. That, that was powerful. So self-reliance is definitely something that we as um, people face in our day-to-day lives, causing right. uh, all kinds of tension. Yeah, we, uh, see it, we see it on the streets, people trying to engineer a particular outcome because they don't like something, but and obviously they have a deeply rooted theological problem. I would imagine many of them just hate God, and so therefore they're relying on themselves to accomplish something within their own power. And, and that just has chaotic results. It cannot end well for any of us. So do you have any additional thoughts or maybe a few other neat insights some readers might miss? Well, as far as the book is concerned, uh, the book was written in two formats. Uh, It was written like an ST book, a systematic theology book, for example. And what I mean by that, an ST book, you you don't have to read from cover to cover. If you want to read about the doctrine of, of sin, you would dip in at harmoniology and you would read about the doctrine of sin. And so you can read an ST book by dipping in at whatever subject you're interested in, or you could read it from cover to cover. And so Change Me, I wrote it like that, like an ST book. And so you can read it from cover to cover, and I would recommend that. Or if you're interested, like say, man, I want to buy this book, just read that chapter on self-reliance. You could dip in right there at self-reliance. Or the, I have three, I think, three or four chapters on communication. And like, like an ST book, you can uh, put it on the shelf and then go into it you know, years later because uh, the content is evergreen, uh, so it's not time-dated. And so it applies today, like this teaching on self-reliance, for example. It applies today, and it applies 100 years from now. Yeah, no, the... the- Practical application will always be a part of, of the life of, of human beings as we continue to walk to walk. So, right. um, wow. Well, that was really powerful. Thank you for sharing um, a lot of those wonderful insights. Um, do you have any uh, closing thoughts or comments you'd like to share? Uh, well, thank you for letting me do it. I love doing this. I love this format. And so thank you for uh, asking. And our, 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 our goal is just to serve people. And uh, again, we have this sanctification center that we have shoved up in cyberspace. The doors are always open. You don't have to wear a mask. You can just walk right in and, and, and you can just feast and enjoy. We don't have a, you know, only five can enter at a time. Uh, you can just bring your whole family flood in. It's all free and just enjoy our resources. We do have forums. Uh, we have free community forums. Again, if, if you want to converse with me and our team, because people have specific questions, uh, our ministry is not just a monologue ministry that goes out in one direction. Uh, it is that. We are, we are pushing resources there, but we, we always want to be a dialogue ministry as well, because you know somebody will read this book, they'll have a question. Rick, can I talk to the author about this book? Well, actually, you can. 
because we are a dialogue ministry, and we have forums on our website to do that. And so there's two kinds. There's the free forums that anybody can access with our username, password, etc. Uh, and then we have private forums, and those are for the folks who support our ministry, that they're the ones that make the ministry go uh, financially-wise, but we're, don't support us. Just come and enjoy. we just want to serve you, and if we can do that, um, that would be that's our highest aim uh, for God's fame. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, well, it's very kind of you to come on. I'm sure your schedule. Well, maybe it's not as busy during COVID. I don't know. <laughs> but um, either way. Well, yeah. Well, being a cyber ministry, it's not uh, controlled by those things actually, and so we're yeah. So yeah, so you probably got a full, definitely a full schedule, and and I'm just thankful that uh, you take the time to to chat with me for a bit today and. Um, what inspired you to say uh, yes to, to be a part of uh, the Zoom interview today? Was there anything in particular, or just... we uh, uh, we just want to help? Just want to help people. If this helps your ministry, that would be fantastic. I also know that we can repurpose this and uh, put it on YouTube, and you know, put it in Life Over Coffee, and you know, that will you know point back to you, of course. Uh, but our our real goal is just how can we reach out and, yeah. and and influence, impact as many lives as possible, ultimately just to help people who are struggling and are looking for solid, bibliocentric, Christocentric resources. Well, I have to say, um, I'm trying not to be one to throw too many loose compliments, but I found uh, the way that you answered a lot of these questions to be engaging. I don't know what it, what exactly was going on, but I was, I, I was pretty impressed. So <laughs> thanks okay. for for the elaboration and um, and just chatting with me today. Yeah, you're welcome, Travis. You have yourself a blessed day. Thanks again for asking. And tell 1,000 of your closest friends about this so they'll watch. <laughs> Absolutely. I will uh, spread the word and, and uh, have a great rest of your uh, day. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.